we're back at the ranch. Okay, we're back. <laughs> I'm sure everyone missed us. <laughs> oh, I did. Uh, you missed. I, I missed us. You missed us. <laughs> I haven't talked to you. I haven't seen you for like two weeks. Chad has been building the world's biggest deck, and I have come home from a week-long trip to Nashville, and right now the grass in my yard is up to my knees because that it rained the whole time I was gone. happened in one day. Um, it's amazing, but it's, it would be a beautiful day except for we have Canadian smoke. Everything is smoky this morning, this afternoon. This morning was beautiful. And then I was looking at the calves were all spread out across, the cows were all spread out across our, like outside our window. The calves were frolicking and kicking, the sun was rising, it was pink, the grass was green, the cows are black, my three favorite colors. And where are you going? Now I had to pause because you literally got up in the middle of my weather report <laughs> and left. But I was here, so I know what the weather's doing. Actually, no. I was here. You weren't even here, so I witnessed all of this that you're talking no, about. No, I was talking about the smoke, but you I'm talking to you. That's the point of the story. You can't just leave me talking to myself. No, I need the at least illusion that you're listening to me. <laughs> I talk to myself all day. I know you do. Anyway, it was what I was trying to say is it was a beautiful day this morning for an hour, and then I drove into town, and I drove into the smoke, and it just blew in from the north, and it's been miserable today. It's just gross and smoky. So hopefully they can get, is it Alberta? Is it, is that where this? I think the Alberta and British Columbia. <laughs> on fire. The British, yeah, the, well, those are the fires I know about. I'm not sure if that's what, what these are these from, are, but. Yeah, it's bad. There's a guy that was up there hunting he was bear hunting and yeah. then he had video footage of the fire oh. like right across the lake thing oh, and they geez. got evacuated i hate it you know it reminds me of when we lived in missoula and we moved there in august like during fire season and we were all excited to be in the mountains and then you couldn't see like five feet in front of you <laughs> you couldn't see the mountains for like two months for like it Lumps. was a long time, and I didn't realize, and that's just the way it is out there. That's like the season, but I didn't realize how bad it gets. It is just, yeah. I mean, it really ruined a beautiful spring day, that's for sure, because um, all the, the blossoms are coming out, and just everything looks really fresh and green. We got the rain that we needed to get everything growing. Yeah, it was really beautiful today from, like, sunrise until like 8 o'clock. I know, but you know what else has has come out as the wood ticks and so the first day I left the first day I was in Nashville I get a message from Edie's teacher and it's like oh you probably saw it too because it was on our joint message it's like Edie had a wood tick today but don't worry it wasn't stuck it was just crawling across her face <laughs> at school and the school I think the um it wasn't the nurse I think it was the secretary got it off of her but when I talked to Edie about it on zoom that night she was like they were gonna call you to come and get the wood tick off of me <laughs> and I was like oh lord they have to get I mean they anyway. have to toughen up a yeah little bit. and so they figured it out well then I had to go in the when I came back home I went into the school to drop something off for Edie and the secretary is so sweet she was like did you get the message? So this would have been a week later. Did you get the message from Edie's teacher? And I was like, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, uh. And then I was like, oh, you mean about the wood tick? <laughs> and she's like, yes. I mean, <laughs> you needed to know. They're so sweet. She's like, I'm like, listen, we have so many ticks out there. Like, they're just everywhere in, at our place. There is no escape. There's no escape. And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry. But thank you for taking care of it. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't it, worry it, me. It would be like the equivalent of people saying, did you know that there was a mosquito? Like For us, yeah. Right, um, that's just, they're just everywhere. But most people in normal lives, ticks are like really disgusting and rare. Well, and in other people's defense, there are wood ticks and there are yeah, ticks. Right. So they get and nervous we have about wood yeah. ticks. No, that is true. That don't typically carry Lyme disease. Right. So 
it's not impossible to have Lyme disease right. out here, but it's not likely. Right. So it's not, just they're, they're a nuisance, but they're not as dangerous as the ticks that right. they You're think carry those diseases. So I get why they, I mean, I get it. They're Those disgusting. Gross, but but I was laughing. I'm like, I'm the first day I'm down in Nashville. I'm going to get ready to do this big project. And it's like you're in the zone of like a different part of your life. And then I got a message. <laughs> I mean, the juxtaposition of it all is just great. It's it's my, it's totally me. But it's like, oh, yeah, just back to reality well, here. I'm surprised Edie didn't just take it off. Yeah. Well, she, well, she was. She found her in the bathtub the other night. She's not worried about it. I know. Like, She's well, not, I'm sure someone saw it and was like, <gasps> and you know, but today she was pulling the big chunky ones off of the dogs and she wanted to pull more of them off and Papa made her stop because it was making his dog kind of like whiny. <laughs> he didn't like it. <laughs> so he's like, just leave it. But she wanted to pull all the fat juicy ticks off of all the dogs. And then Rosie had one stuck to her head after preschool that no one noticed, thank God. And then, yeah, anyway, so those are coming out. It's so disgusting. I had one all stuck on my side boob yesterday. <laughs> so they just find you. <laughs> I've not found one on me. You haven't? Not yet. Even being out on that deck out there because you're working when on... I'm like eight miles, eight and a half miles north. Yeah. And they don't have They don't like really they do. have as many like, ticks, yeah. Like if you go to Brett's house. Really? Which is like 15, 20 miles north. They're more on the there's prairies. There's like none. Yeah. But you We're come here, there's a billion. It's the price you pay for being in the so we live woods. In the, woods. <laughs> the only woods in western North Dakota. Anyway, so that's the update. We just got in from riding horses. We have four girls on horses now. Alex's girls are, of course, Ada, her oldest, who's five, is Rosie's age, has been into it, more doing it herself. But then Emma is now more, too. So... We have five, four girls trying to maneuver which horses are riding, who's riding what and how and what, because we're going to try to do a little youth, their first youth rodeo of the season on Saturday. And so we're trying to cram like what we should have been practicing for the last like three weeks. Well, into this is the like last the first day. kind of time yeah. that we can. You couldn't when I was gone because it was raining so much. So anyway, um, that's been going good. They're doing a good job. That was a pretty proud dad moment to drive over the hill and see, like, Edie wasn't even riding one of the kids' horses. She was She's riding, riding the my horse. horse. I have a great horse. Uh, it, he's a Palomino. His name is Gizmo. <laughs> it's a terrible name. <laughs> and he's kind of like a grouchy on the ground and has a few little things on the ground, but he's a dream to ride. And I thought she could try him because the big thing when kids get on these horses is the horses have to be have a good response and so the old horses get kind of like lazy and they don't listen but if you can get them in the sweet spot then you can have a real connection and Edie has a good connection with one of our really old horses but Rosie wants to ride that and so does Ada so it's like well we could graduate I have up. a feeling like I'm going to be shopping for a horse because I'm going to lose mine oh yours hasn't even come out yet you I haven't know. even tried that but, but He's a good one too. Got such we a have good a handle, we like have a good pen of horses. Like we have, if you went on a trail ride right now, you could trail ride with seven people. You know, they could yeah. all be on a horse, and it's just trying to get them to ride out in the arena. And these ranch horses don't know about barrels and <laughs> and little kids handle and everything. So we're just working that all all out. But it's a lot going on in the pony pen. <laughs> it's four little girls, four old horses dogs and grandpas and wait uncle Wade is here and yeah it's it's like you have to pay attention it's so like much a rodeo. yeah <laughs> and I look over and I the, and I was trying to focus on Edie because it was the first time she's ever rode gizmo and I didn't really ride him this spring yet either so dad was like are you sure about this but I was sure but then I'm like should I be sure I don't know I'm not nervous, but should I be nervous? Anyway, I was watching her. Then out of the corner of my eye, Rosie's just like flying, <laughs> running around, not wide open, but fast as she's ever gone. She has like no fear, so there, which is good in a lot of ways, but she's got this confidence anyway. So we're just, I was laughing though, because one of my friends uh, who, she writes for the Western Horseman. You check her out, Jolyn Young. She does, I don't remember the name of her column, but she has a column in there every month. And she had a line in one of her pieces that was taking her kids to the rodeo in town, and her thing was like telling them to slow down. 
<laughs> slow down, slow down. Like that's not really competitive. <laughs> that's what I was doing with Edie, like slow down. <laughs> it's like going to a wrestling match and being like, just lay on your back, lay on your back. Just <laughs> Stop wiggling. I know. So I'm yelling at her, slow down, slow down. But that's maybe not what I should do during the rodeo, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, so that's what we just got in from doing. Oh, oh, I was just going to say last time we talked down here, it was been a couple weeks, we had meat on from Costco. And uh, we I burned it so, so bad. And so Chad put a timer on and we're going to have pork loin. And um, so we don't burn it again. So. Hang on a second. Got to check the supper. How's it looking? Did you rotate it? <laughs> yeah, I rotated it. <laughs> you rotated the meat. <laughs> okay, so did you miss me when I was gone? You were so busy. You looked at me and said, when I got home, all you said to me was, this was the week from hell. <laughs> Yeah, and that wasn't home life related. <laughs> so mom and dad were here, and they helped out a bunch. Yeah. So that was, like, actually was really helpful. Mom kind of just takes care of the kids, and then dad came and helped me on my deck project, but we would get home at 8.30 at night and bedtime and then up and back at it, hands and knees all day. Like, it was... Not your favorite. It's not fun. No. Were some you questioning? Things are, some things of building are fun, <laughs> this... You're questioning Less your fun. life decisions. <laughs> I've done a lot of soul searching. <laughs> I, I found all the opportunities that I zigged and should have zagged. Uh, when you're on your <laughs> in your life or in the deck project? <laughs> in my life and the deck project. <laughs> it's a little late now, but... I was questioning my life decisions when I was standing in the Nashville airport. with Couldn't... At 1.30 in the morning... Couldn't find my guitar because they had gate checked it and then didn't give it back to me. And we had been on the tarmac before we left from, I was flew layover in Texas, for like an hour and a half or two hours stuck in the plane because of a, of a um, thunderstorm in Nashville. Then we finally landed in Nashville along with everybody else. Stood on the run, sat on the runway for another like 45 minutes. Finally got off. Everyone in coming to Nashville, like within the last, I don't know, 10 hours was all coming in at the same time. Then I stood and waited for my guitar for an hour. Then I stood in budget uh, rental car line for like an hour and a half. And then got my car. It was 4.30 in the morning when I got to my hotel. And then I thought, what the hell am I doing here? And why am I doing this to myself? But it all went up from there the but it started oh, off kind of rough of a rock star i feel so bad <laughs> for you that's so the same thing as <laughs> thousands of deck boards i'm not trying to compare but, it okay in comparison <laughs> that's crap but you were doing one of the coolest things that anybody could ever do it was a cool week like mm -hmm. you were at a place that you don't, don't want to hear about my five percent of the population of the world has ever even been to to nashville to be a recording artist oh, in Nashville. Oh, like, oh, oh. I, don't, well, I don't even know if anyone, it's 5%, 1% listen, maybe? Let me clear something up. Anyone could do what I can do. Anyone could do what I just did. Right. You just have to go and do it and well, then pay for it. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the, the thing. same thing as saying anybody can do with Brantley Gilbert or whoever. <laughs> you even know that? No, I have, it's just a name. I have no idea who that is. I think it's a country singer, but... Yeah, I, I just okay. picture one of those beer belly bro country boys. <laughs> they don't have beer bellies. The oh bro yes, country they do. boys? The bro country boys? No, yeah. no, 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 no. Really? Like dad bobs, dad bod supremes. No. They're not like the guys that they used. They're not George <laughs> Straits. Tim McGraw. There's no Tim McGraw. Never out had there. a had a dad bod in his <laughs> yeah, life. Yeah, there's that. Mm. And Tim McGraw's also 60. <laughs> Honestly, I can't say much about the bro country music because I don't I don't really listen to it. I listen to the girls of country music, and they're that's a different animal. But well, the bro like, country don't. You know, I like like southern rock or yeah. Americana or. Yeah real rock like a lot of those things the bro country i can't but it keeps trying to shove it down my throat like and it, it comes up on my youtubes and, and my spotify's yeah. and i'm like what part of slipknot makes you think i like 
whoever. Like, Brantley Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, Brantley. If your name is now, Brantley, okay. I don't care how Chad, good you are. I'm not listening to you. I got to look up Brantley Gilbert because that is an actual <laughs> person that just came out of left field, though, for you. Is, this, is it really? Yes. He's well, I mean, I know that Brantley, but it, I just threw names. American country rock singer. Yeah, from Georgia. That's, push. that's like saying Taylor Swift. <laughs> you don't rock. even know what he sings. You just know his name. <laughs> his name is Brantley. He's <laughs> not doing no stop rock. Stop That's not his fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, if your name is Brantley, I'm really sorry. But your parents hate you. Chad, I told you I didn't want to have to edit this, and now I have to edit that out. Mm-mm. That's mean. You got to leave that in there. You want people to know you're judgy about their names? Yes. Okay. Hey, Chad, who was named after... I am very judgy about my own <laughs> name. I hate my you name. You were named after a literal soap star. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, what? What? I know. <laughs> I, I'm not... I'm saying that was my mom. <laughs> That's what I'm saying about Brantley's mom. I, well, I can't believe my dad didn't pipe up. However, his name is Steve. <laughs> so, Steven. Steven is a good name. Steve. My mom and dad have like the two most common white people Steve names and Karen. <laughs> like it doesn't get any more regular names than that. Well, I have the most regular 1980s. And then you have like my mom's mom is Beulah. Where do you ever hear a name like that? Well, I think that one went out of fashion. I don't know that it ever was in fashion, <laughs> but it's unique and yeah. it's an actual name. Yeah. And my grandma on my dad's side is Leona. Like, they I have know. cool names. So that they wanted to just keep it regular. They, they have to, because on my dad's side, there's Steve, <laughs> Mike, Mike Daryl, Donnie. <laughs> and then they got real wild and they went Charlene. Charlene. Yeah, that's pretty. So I don't, anyway. <laughs> but, okay, well, just just one minute on the names. My name is Jessica, and I was born in 1983. Every other girl in born in the 80s is named Jessica. When I was pregnant with Edie, especially Edie, they w- I would be in the waiting room of the doctor's office and they would call Jessica to come and four pregnant women would stand up. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what do you want to know? I have so much to say. What do I want to know? That's not about anything that we've talked about so far. Did Taylor ask about me? <laughs> so what I wanted to say about my flight is what happened is I came in on the wave of Swifties. So Taylor Swift had three days of concerts in Nashville, and the last concert that she did was the day I flew in. And it was a downpour, terrible storm, and her Swifties had to wait out like shelter in place for like two or three hours. And then she performed in the pouring rain downtown. Outside. Outside? Yeah. Yep. So... They have big, big stories to tell for being at that iconic concert and then just standing and watching her perform in the rain. You'll see it. And Taylor's like one of those, like, I do like her. Yeah. But I wouldn't wouldn't stand in the rain for her. Really? You're not her target audience. I don't think there's a concert (laughs) in the world that I would stand in the rain for. Hmm. Really? I don't think so. Hmm. No. Uh, Speaking of which, okay, so in Nashville, um... There's a duo of girls that I used to cross paths with. They're from Hazen, North Dakota. And if you're from North Dakota, you know who they are. If you're listening from somewhere else, their band name is Tiger Lily, now Tiger Lily Gold. And they're younger than I am. They're in their early 20s. They moved, their family moved them to Nashville after they graduated from high school and to make it, basically. They're there to make it. And they're doing awesome. And they're doing awesome. Well, so awesome that... And I used to, like I said, in North Dakota, cross paths with them a lot. And in fact, I played with them at a governor's thing when I first moved back. And I remember they had already have had like a big YouTube following and they probably were like 14, 15 years old. And they asked, they were asking me for advice. And I remember looking at them like, you girls know way more about what you're doing than I do. Like they're in that generation of YouTube and being on social media and promoting themselves. So by the time they got to Nashville, they had a huge fan base, but they got signed to a major record label. And after playing like three years on Broadway and just pushing it, they got signed to like a legit record label and have some singles out now, Shoot Tequila is one of them. Anyway, they did their debut performance at the Opry when I was in Nashville. So I got to go to that. And it was so, I can't even, uh, I can't even explain it. They're some... They're a group of, uh, 
they're two women who I sang beside and would show up at different places and just to see and just support it and, you know, always well, was following. Kind of, it was, it's kind of, I think they were like the kids who were trying to sing when you were like a little bit older, yeah, more just esta- like established regionally. Sure. I mean, they I'm not comparing my success to them no, at all because like it's teenagers. above and beyond. But yeah, they were teenagers and I was singing and doing some band stuff and they were doing it too. And so we just kind of did a lot of gigs together and they just skyrocketed and people just love them. And they, they're really great. Uh, they're doing a more mainstream country and they did their debut Opry performance and dad and I went, they did, and they had a big night. It was um, Saturday night at the Opry. So they had two performances at seven o'clock and nine thirty, and we were able to snag tickets for nine thirty. and they performed in front of Carrie Underwood and Dina Carter. And um, it was a huge night. It was a sold out Opry crowd. It was incredible. And they did a great job. So that was really, really cool. But also, shows me, and I thought this when I was in Nashville in my last project, and that would have been eight years ago. Excuse me. Nashville, when you get in there and you're working as a musician, you're recording and you're hiring studio musicians, you're working with producers, it is a small town. It's still a small town. It's exploded beyond what it has been. It's one of the top, I mean, it's just a, it's a boom town, essentially. Tourist-wise, it's like where everyone goes for vacation. It's like a mini Vegas. We talked about that a little bit last time. But in terms of industry, it still feels like you, like people know each other. They know, they're paying attention. They're playing together. They're um, supporting each other. And that's definitely the vibe I got in working with, again, this um, the couple that I worked with, uh, that I did Northern Lights with, I went back to that producer, Bill Warner, and his experience is beyond. He's been in Nashville for decades, and we, he and his wife, that's what they do, and his wife, um, Kirsty Manna, she um, is a very successful songwriter, and um, I think I said this last time, but she wrote Austin, which was a breakout um, song for Blake Shelton, so that's kind of what, that's her like, it's not, I don't want to say that's her claim to fame because she has so many more accolades than that, but that's just an example of what she does. And she's a songwriter writing with people all week. That's what she does. And then Bill works with uh, all different studios and musicians cutting albums. And he's worked with like, he, we're standing there, and I'm just saying this, and I said it in my column this week. They're not name dropping. Yeah, come on. <laughs> drop some names. Like, I want to hear some name dropping. They don't name drop, right? But, like, I am because I think it gives a, for, for them, because I think it gives just a picture of how small of a town Nashville is and the caliber of a producer I am I get to work with on this project, which is amazing. And it's just by serendipity that... I got to that I'm working with him. How d- I'm going to interrupt you a little bit. How did you originally <laughs> get hooked up with We were Bill? just talking about that. Um, it would have been like nine years ago. And he was working on just, I think, he just was looking for more people to record with. And he reached out to me. Oh, he. Yeah. And I, w- I was, I don't know if I. I just got an email. Because, you know, you put your stuff out, I put my stuff out there, and I think he was looking for, like, artists like me, and just, he maybe had his intern even reach out and say, like, if you're ever interested in a project, this is what I am, this is who I am, this is where I am, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to Nashville next project, I had already done um, Nothing's Forever in Bismarck, and I was writing more songs and was ready, so he just got to me at the right time, and I told them when I was there, I don't know if I would have been brave enough or would have known where to start to go to N- Nashville and cut an album if he didn't reach out to me. I don't, at that time anyway. Later, now maybe. But I would have had enough, j- made different connections and would have known what to ask. But at that time, I was like, listen, the worst that thing that could happen is I spend my money and it just doesn't work out. It's a bad experience it's money gone. It's not a traumatizing thing because I'm an independent artist. I don't have a label. I don't have anyone working for me. I do all of it. And so really you're putting your own cash on the line and it's all your decisions. You're just hiring somebody that you trust to help you direct the music the way that 
they th make the best songs that you possibly can. So Northern Lights went really well. He liked the project. He liked working with me. I liked working with him. It was very low key. The thing about Bill is he knows all the studio musicians. So he thinks, okay, this is your vibe. These are the studio musicians that work well together. This is the drummer that will work. This is, you know, the sound we want. And then he hires all of the musicians on my behalf. I pay him to do that work. And he schedules them all. He charts out all of the tracks. And then we get in the studio and lay it all down. The first album I did, we just did rhythm tracks first in the studio and then um, came back and overdubbed. But this time, we worked in... Omnisound, which is one of the um, most iconic studios, maybe one of the most recognized studios on Music Row in Nashville. And it is, um, <laughs> you'll have, I'll post pictures of it on my website and I have on my Instagram, so some of you have probably seen it. It's not a fancy place. <laughs> and it is now down by all these high rises and kind of new development. It's one of the last ones standing, but it's an old pencil factory. That's what one of the engineers said, and it's gone through a history. But I walked in that space. We were in one of the studios, there's Studio A and Studio B, and it's just a little gray building, and um, all the records on the walls were records that musicians cut there. Miranda Lambert, Blake Shelton. Um, Jewel. Jewel. I Now I'm trying to, I should pull up kind of some of the names, and I think I put them in the column. Um, and there I am. And even and the thing that's cool about Bill and the musicians that I worked with there, that's not lost on them. They're not like, oh, yeah, this is like, we do this all the time, blah, blah, blah. They say things that I say, like, <laughs> if these walls could talk, right? Like, what a incredible thing to be in that sort of space where Jewel made her first album. The band Perry played there, um, recorded their album there. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, there's like a million of them. Miranda Lambert's first breakout album, Kerosene, and I think subsequent albums too. Um, like I said, Blake Shelton. The list goes on. Corb Lund recorded there. Corb's my, my guy from um, Drive a Wood Tick on Me. <laughs> of course I would have one no okay good um but they have a list so anyway Bill just booked that space for us and um I walked in there Taylor Swift oh that's the big one <laughs> so that's the one I wanted to make sure uh, uh, have you guys heard of her <laughs> Taylor She's kind Swift of an Kenny Chesney Luke Bryan Lady Antebellum I mean it just goes on and on they use that space now someone uh, I went to get my hair done yesterday and I posted a picture of Bill and Kirsty and and then the musicians and I think um you have this idea sometimes, and maybe I had it too, that you go to Nashville and you're in like this fancy studio and you're dressed up and we're all dressed up and we're all like, and that's not, you know, we're all stars here. We're trying to be stars. That's not the experience at all. You know, you're going there to work. We put in like a 12-hour day on the Tuesday that I had those studio musicians. Bill, this major producer, he's in his shorts and his T-shirt and he's, we're getting to work. And so my um, the girl that does my hair had a funny point. She's like, I just saw a picture of them, and you kind of told me their, you know, shared a little bit of their story, Bill and Kirsty, And it's like, well, they're just every, like, they're just regular people. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm in their house, and we're recording. Like, they are. That's just their job, right? And Bill's worked with Dolly Parton, and he just casually, like, throws that out there. Like, oh, yeah, I did, a, I did something with Dolly. God, she's so nice. And um, Who's that? <laughs> um, yeah, you can't be in my life if that was a real comment. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm going on. I'm going on a tangent here. But no, so you were telling me before I interrupted you last time, which I'm going to have to interrupt you because you have shortly. to go get your pork. <laughs> I got to check my meat. But um, you were saying that they don't name drop, right? And then Bill. That's what you I was going to say, there, yeah. Dolly Parton. Then he named oh. job. But then this is the caliber of like what is what Nashville is. So this is my favorite story that they tell, and they told me when I first met them. 
they got to Nashville in the, you know, in the 90s, and they were writing songs together, Bill and Kirsty and or just Kirsty, whatever. They're shopping them around, trying to get them sold. That's what they wanted. They wanted their songs on country radio. And they had a song that they had put out there, and someone came and said, well, I have this guy named Garth Brooks, <laughs> and oh, he yeah. wants to record your song. And they said, mm, I don't know. Because they, they knew that they had a song. They knew they had this good song, and you're making a decision, and you're taking a risk with it. And to give it to Garth Brooks would have been taking a risk on an artist that they didn't know anything about. That wasn't, he was up and coming in quotes, but like hadn't, hadn't done anything yet. And so they didn't allow the song to be recorded by Garth. And I can't remember the artist that took it or what they did with the song. But then like, I don't know, six months later, a year later, Garth became Garth. <laughs> and they're sitting there like, well, but that's just the industry. Right, right, but like, you know, you have to think then from their perspective, how many times have they also done that right. to somebody that didn't become Garth? You know? Right, yeah. I mean, because everyone's coming through because Nashville. Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people come in there yeah. with Garth Swagger and they're not Garth. Right, and you just don't and know. And they might become it, And maybe but they not. didn't. I think they wound up meeting him too, if I remember correctly. Um, but that is just, if that's not the industry for you. It's chance. It's making the right choices at the right time. The wrong choices at the wrong time. It's like luck. It's all luck. And, but also like so much work. When you're talking about Tiger Lily, like that is their goal. Those girls have lived and breathed their music. Take it or leave it. For their lives. Their entire lives. And they moved, their family moved out there. Their sister moved out there. Their parents to do this thing. And it is attainable. If you have the talent and you have the drive that they have and the vision, it happened for them. They've, I mean, uh, they've made it. They're on the big old stage. And they're from Hazen, North Dakota. And I say that with so much pride. That was never, I never had that kind of drive with my music. It's not the well, goal. It was also never your goal. No, but I have so much respect for it because I know even just to make it on the level that I am on is so much work and so much dedication. And anyway, but to be in, to take these songs that I wrote about, and so I have a couple things to say about this before you move, before you rotate your pork. <laughs> um that I wrote about the motherhood, about uh, a hard winter here, ancestors. about ancestors, about handing folklore. it over, folklore, poker gym, about love, about you know these kind of real moments that you that all I've ever wanted in songwriting and writing is to capture the essence of what it is to be human, or a moment in time to make you feel something, and to take those. And to bring them to Nashville, to have the professionals look at them, sit down, and say to me, and I'm not trying, I mean, it's hard, because I don't want to sit here and, like, toot my own horn. That's not what I'm trying to I do. I would like you to toot your horn. <laughs> but this happens where these musicians that sat in the room with me, I had a drummer, a guitar player, Wanda, who's incredible, who's played with everybody. She plays everything. She plays dobro, she plays fiddle, she plays banjo, she plays everything. Say, these are good songs. This is cool. We don't get to play stuff like this. You haven't been tainted by the machine. <laughs> like That's something that I'm not like trying to put down any style of music, but it is my own sound, and they appreciated it. And I felt like I should be there. And that it was because there's a lot of second guessing you do in those moments where it's like they sit down and they listen to my shitty guitar playing over a demo over these big speakers in this iconic studio and it's like oh my gosh okay they've heard it one time they all sit in a room this is the process bill gives them charts they don't look at them until the day they arrive they're session musicians the next day they're going into a whole nother room working with a whole nother set of musicians. They don't play together. They're not a band. They might know each other, but they don't. So they sit in a room. We introduce each other, say hi, but we don't have a lot of time here. We have one day to get 12 tracks done, a full band of 12 tracks, or band on almost all of them. And 
then we listen to my song that I recorded in the upstairs of my house while the kids literally, you can hear them in the background. And you're thinking, I'm thinking, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like these people have heard everything. They've worked with freaking Dolly Parton and they're listening to my stuff. Okay, oh, uh, it's like really, really, and then you have to listen to yourself sing, play guitar. They get it right away. They go back in their isolation booths. Everyone's isolated. They mess around with it for maybe not even five minutes. I'm not even kidding. And then, okay, are you ready? I'm not even ready to sing my own song that I wrote because I don't know. Oh, I have the words and I don't have, and then they just play it and the essence of it, they get the mood. There was one song that we, one, that I was, both Bill and I were like, that's not quite the vibe. Second take, perfect. The drummer gets it the first time. Bass player generally gets it the first time. These people are people that savants. Yeah, they're not like they're not real. (laughs) They're not like regular people. No, they have. I I think they have music just they're rolling through their head. It's in their DNA constantly. So like if they hear a song on the radio, they're thinking they see it a different way. Like it's in this key and it's playing this way. This is the rhythms going like this, and then you could add this here and you could do this and you could you know or they're like oh yeah they nailed you know that's how their brain works. Yep. I just hear a song and I'm like, oh, that's a cool You don't song. even know, because I do it too. When you're away from the recording process, it's just like this, uh, there's a tune, it sounds good, it's it's tasty, it feels good, you like it for whatever reason. You go to record and then you, I'm just saying this, like they become the essence of the song as much as the song is its well, own thing. Yeah, it's an evolving process that like you took a, a poem. Right. And then kind of put it to a melody. And, like, and they give it a beat. And that part, I don't know how you can... I can't fathom how that happens either. I'm just not built that way. I don't yeah. I don't understand how that happens. But you do it, then you bring it to them, and then they do the next like little right. thing, and then pretty soon it comes back. Like you sent me those tracks. Some of the them the rough cuts, and you're like, What what? You know? Oh, because you heard them just by list like well, the some of some of them I haven't heard at all. Mm. But you're like but the thing you that were, they you were gone for a week. I know. But the thing that's cool about it And they heard it once and they, then they were able to add that. They didn't and it's change like subtle yeah. or whatever it is. They didn't change a they didn't change a the structure of any of the songs. They didn't they didn't even change the tempo. It's just that they got and this is why I love working with Bill because he gets me. They got the essence of it, right? So I wrote the song called I Used to Be and it's I wrote it a long time ago, finished it, and like thought, okay, I want this on the album. But I saw it a little bit, so it had the beat that, it had the same tempo. But they amped it up so that it feels like a little more driving, and that's exactly what it needed to feel like. I couldn't create that in my acoustic version, but now I, because I didn't hear it that way. But then some of the songs... I heard in my brain, I wrote one called Red Barns and People Get Old, out in this pasture, walking towards this red barn, and it's about, essentially, my grandma's experience with losing her husband and her son taking over the place. There's a, you know, it's not verbatim of that story, but pretty much, and in my head, there was a violin or a low cello or something, but I maybe didn't even know what I envisioned it as but when it came out of Wanda and that group of musicians I started crying (laughs) because it was the song that I wrote that's how I heard it I didn't hear it's one of the only songs well not one of the only but one of the most important songs to me on that album and so much that was plucked right from my brain I can't play that but they can and that's how I wrote it to sound and it was like, it's always a, just a trance. I'm gonna. It was just an experience that was sort of like out of body, and I was there by myself, <laughs> so there wasn't anyone I could look at from my camp to say like, "Can you believe this? <laughs> Can it's you believe this?" Because your camp of people live they in all your have head. to work. <laughs> like, well, I mean, your well, camp of people, you have cheerleaders, you know that that all support you, but. Well, you all are the only one that inside of your head knows what you wanted that to sound like. Well, that's true. Everyone else just hears it and is like, oh, yeah, that's really good. But I guess what I mean is like my camp of people who came with me, know me, would say, Jesse, like, be here right now. This is incredible. That's the experience that Bill created for me. 
and I could just cry right now because it doesn't now I'm <laughs> shut up <laughs> shut up because it doesn't even matter if anything goes beyond all you li who listen to this would listen to the album but that you can take something and make it even more beautiful or make it even mo put more heart into it and that people believe in it as much as you do is that's all you want as a writer that and that they would stand there and feel something like Kirsty stood and listened to the one of the my motherhood songs and just genuinely felt something it's like and that's it's all like I, I care feel about. that at work too <laughs> I just hope that someone's like this is a mighty fine day and they shed a tear <laughs> they're like man I've envisioned decks but this is a great deck is this lost on you you no it's dick. not I, <laughs> Gotta lighten it a little bit, but you, it, it's not at all lost. I know it isn't. It's a I thing that I greatly appreciate. Like I love music. I love it. I am not capable of okay creating it. But it doesn't it's not matter. Possible. I'm not so making music for someone else who's creating right, music. But what I'm saying is, so like the process is, it's like magic to me. It like is. It's not lost on me. I think it's it kind of like is magic. though. Magic. Like but it kind of is magic when it works. That whole thing was magic to me. When I write a song and I and it turns out, it's magic to me too. And I look back at some of the stuff I wrote and I think, how did that come out of me? I don't even know. So sometimes, and I'm not saying like, oh, it's so great, but when you're proud of it or you say the thing that you want to say and it sounds the way that you're, you know, you're proud of it, that is magic. But you are a listener and a consumer of music. You're the most important like the listener, the audience is the most important piece of the puzzle. Like that's who you're trying to get to. Someone like you who's not, there's a million things to listen to that it would move you in any way is the goal. And it is for, that's been for me. It's not to have a top 40 song. It's to be someone's favorite song or to be someone's song that they are reminded of. Wouldn't mind a top 40. <laughs> Yeah, what is what did one of our friends say? Well, just uh, you'll get you'll make more money if you just write a good song. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm working on it. But because my favorite songs are not top 40 songs, my favorite songs are some of the most obscure. All of my because favorite songs are songs. Because it makes me feel something. Whether they're top 40 or not, or top 100, or no one's ever heard of it, it's like you hear it and you yeah. feel something. Yeah. It makes you. It makes you like either ramps up your energy right. or it like chills you out or it makes you sad or it makes you happy. Like a song that makes you feel something. It's like a book that makes you feel something. Right. Like when you're just really intensely mad at the main character because right. in your mind, that's a real person. Right. You're like, why would you do that? Or, yeah, yay, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to find is something that, and it could be, it can't even be like the, just the beat of the song. Right. Like just the driving. Mm -hmm. Like the essence of it, whatever. The like thing it's that just it the, is. the thing that somebody created that mm -hmm. is just, and that because somehow it, you can re relate to it, even if it's just like a party song. There's something in that piece of music that is you too, and that's what I love. Like you hear, well, there's a new Jason Isbell album coming out, and there's a song on it, one of his singles. The whole thing's not out yet. It's called Cast Iron Skillet. And it came out, and I was in the airport, and I had... Ooh, that sounds good. Oh, my God. The lyric is, don't wash the cast iron skillet. Don't drink and drive, you'll spill it. That's the first lines of the song. It's already <gasps> my favorite song. <laughs> and I'm in the airport. Why don't you share this with me? Like, Well, I, I just talked... This is the first time I've talked to you in two weeks. <laughs> it is, and it goes on I'm and tells a story. I'm not loving my recommendations off, off of the streaming things right now. Oh, man, and it's just like, yeah those two lines there and I dad and I talk about this all the time for us and maybe it's for the rest of the world listening to music we know if we're gonna like a song in the first like five bars of it four bars of it we just oh, know. I pretty much do yeah you know if you're gonna change it sometimes you give it a shot and it grows on you but I'm I'm gonna know and that and but there's no one in my opinion better <laughs> songwriter to capture that essence then well, jason isbell is like lyrically the goal that man you know, is a genius he's a genius like yeah the, the phrases that he has yep. throughout his songs are just regular everyday things yes 
Like, where did, don't wash the cast like iron skillet, don't drink and drive, you spill it. That's regional. That sh- puts you in a place, in a, in, and you can see that those people, like just those, th- that, those two phrases. So that's what I've always been working to achieve as a writer because I listen to songwriters like Lyle Lovett, Harry Chapin, Emmylou Harris, these old school, but also, I don't know, I, you know, the Judds and these story songs like Reba saying like, but yeah. like that's a, that's a genre. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what. Well, I would say it used to be folk, but now they would characterize um, it as Americana, Americana um, because it's, you know, folk music is es- essentially story songs and that's a little bit more of a way throwback, but now it's like folk Americana, Americana. They've shifted into that characterization of like, of regional music. There's a lot of Appalachian music right now that's really popular and Zach Bryan and um, some of these artists that are coming up on TikTok are really celebrating that kind of, that part of the country. Oh yeah, what's that, what's that dude's name? Something Warren. That does Warren Z- Zaiters. Oh, what's his last name? Warren Zaiters? Yeah, that sounds so, something but like But I don't that. know if that's how you say it. But same thing. Um, like that kind of music, I love that music. But what's cool about, okay, yeah, Z-E-I-D-E-R-S, if anyone wants to check him out. What's cool about the state of music right now, though, is those guys and girls and someone like me can find our own audience. And then our audience propels us to where, if you can get enough ears to make a difference, then um, our audience can put us where well, they want us to be and ask of us like, what like they you, want. Like you just said, it created a genre. Americana didn't exist 10 they years ago. They weren't really... I mean, the music did, but like... They weren't labeling it that The category yeah. didn't really exist. No, and that's what I always struggled with when I was a younger artist is like, well, what do you do? Well, it wasn't country music. And it, at that time, it was like coffee shop. People were like relating it to like coffee shop music, but I called it folk, but then it was like alternative folk. Well, it was Americana music because it was a time and place and it was a little more rootsy, but I had no label for it and no one else did either. But I follow this other kid, and maybe he's my age. <laughs> he might, I think he's younger, but Josiah Cop, Josiah and the Bonnevilles, and he's he ditched his job for the just a last-ditch effort to try to make a go at music. And that's what he said on his social media today was, like, he's, I mean, his fans are skyrocketing his stuff because it's really, really good, and they want it. And by, by good, I mean it has heart like Jason Isbell heart. And he sits in his home studio, and he plays a harmonica, and he records himself, and he said it, and I don't think people realize it, it's all him. He doesn't have a record label. He doesn't have a marketing team. Everything that you're seeing that's coming from him, and I think Zach Bryan is the same way, and people know him now because of Spotify. Zach, is he that way? He started that I way. That makes me like him more. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I thought he to was kind no, of formulaic. But no, not at all. And I started listening to him like five years ago, and, it, and his the production on his stuff was like, I liked it because it was raw. It didn't, some of it wasn't even like, wasn't produced at all. And um, I sent him to, I sent his stuff to my friend Mike who plays Dobro with me and guitar because we both love like sad songs. (laughs) And I'm like, if you want sad songs, like heart-wrenching songs, listen to this guy. Well, pretty soon everyone's listening to him because it's good and people want, what Kirsty said to me, and I'm just going to ride this train because I believe it too. They want something that's real. So they've seen the polished stuff, and they get it. We get it. That's radio. That's what we're fed in country music and rock and pop and the shined up stuff. But what people I think are connecting with more because they have access to it is the guy playing his guitar in his room with a story in a trailer house in freaking Kentucky. And then he's got songs that connect with you because he's lived your like shitty life and he's had your shitty breakup and he's had heartache and he's had Yeah, it's it's hard to um connect with a billionaire. Yeah. You know, like I mean, yes, God bless her. I love Taylor Swift. We're rocking out to her shiny but pop that's music. That's where she started. And I love it. And I I do too. But it, it's But it's, it's different. It's harder now, like she has a more recent album. I don't know how sure, new it is, yeah. but 
It's like, I know that you're a billionaire. <laughs> so these things that you're talking about are like, they're thoughts that you have, but that's not your life. <laughs> but then I also, like, I'm not dismissing, I just want to be very clear. I'm not dismissing that because sometimes artists get this way and I, I disown this frame of mind. So give me a second. When you have someone, and Mumford, is in, Mumford and Sons was an example. I got in an argument with a guy in a bar that I didn't even know in my <laughs> about this. And my little sister was like, let's go. You, no, we're not doing this. But I remember, as and sometimes people get precious about their people. So they've found this act, like Zach Bryan. And as soon as he makes it, then we want to disown him and be pissed at him because... Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. you're a shiny and you sold out and da-da-da. Okay, well, what do you want him to play in basement bars his whole life just so you can keep him precious? Like, he's good as a fan. You should want more ears on him, and then you can say, I knew him when. That's what you should want for an artist. Also, like, just not even I knew him when. Just appreciate Just the appreciate him. I don't, yeah. I don't, like, the part that I get judgmental or whatever about is when and it's a tough thing because they change yeah like you love oh, yeah. a band yeah. like i have um i'm trying to think like bush yeah from the from 90s. the 90s <laughs> was one of my favorite bands of all time and then all of a sudden they came out with a new yeah. album they're complete and they changed sound their sound changed mm -hmm. their everything changed and you're like well yeah this isn't what i like you know but that's but also you can't have the same person write the same stuff well because then you get then you're like oh it just sounds the same right but they so also a, have to it's evolve. a fine line to walk between they had this they had this thing that to me was magic yeah and then it the magic went away or and then maybe they were feeling that and maybe but there was maybe pressure to other people that's when they found the magic right you know what yeah. I mean? like yeah 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 because they're still i mean it's bush there's yeah. Still well, and that's kind of the artist's conundrum too, though, because in Taylor Swift is an example of that. She started when she was like 15. She's not going to be writing that that kind of music when she's a 35 year old woman. That's not that's not evolution for her as an artist, right. you know. And you wouldn't want her to because it wouldn't make sense. I mean, that's extreme because no, but, she was but 15. She also to hasn't changed like changed her. Well, she's done now. She's doing this eras tour, so then her whole her whole shtick is going through all the different tailors that, you know, existed. So she's tried, went from country to pop to kind of more of this like folk sound and, yeah, you yeah. know, you're, and, I, and Madonna's I don't, I don't fault people for that. Like what I'm talking about is more of like, you didn't change your genre. You just changed your sure. sound. Like, I don't know how to yeah, explain I it, know but what it's you like, mean. You're, you were rock, you're still rock. But it doesn't have the same vibe. But it doesn't vibe. resonate. Right. You're not with connecting me. with it. But uh, like I said, yeah. I think it resonates with other people. It for right. sure resonates with them. But then a lot of people, a lot of bands have, everyone has like their favorite Fleetwood Mac also album like or whatever. Also like grunge isn't really a thing anymore. Well, that's true. And that's but kind I, of what they were. It's like right. grunge rock. They, and that's not a thing. They have to change it, but they like kind of went techno-y. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not into techno-y. Right. Well, and the Beatles are an example of that. Elvis, oh my gosh, I watched the Elvis movie, but I didn't get to finish it on the plane. It's really good. Well, I thought that was a thing we were going to watch together. Well, I got to be with you. <laughs> well, I want to, so I want to watch it with you, but start from the beginning and watch well, it on a I'm big gonna screen. I'm going to watch Guardians of the Galaxy, and okay. you can watch that <laughs> with me or not. You know what else I watched on the plane was the Tanya Tucker documentary that um, Brandi Carlisle did with her. She brought Tanya Tucker kind of out of... Back I've into not the even scene. Heard of this. I don't know anything about. Okay, this. well, she, and then okay, so she brought Tanya Tucker back out into the world, saying like, "You influenced me so much, um, that you you are an underrated music, country music influence on all these women, all of these genre, all of these people that are out there singing country music. Tanya Tucker, you're part of that." evolution of country music so she and shooter jennings went and took got her to come into the studio and record an another album and she's in her like si almost 70s i think and you know tanya tucker delta dawn yeah and yeah yeah i know um i just want to make sure <laughs> um so she has that like she's high school for me voice but also she was a child star she started when she was like 13 so she's that been, I didn't. yeah, which I maybe 
did know that, but need to be reminded. So she's seen it all, and she kind of transformed herself too. And then she got in trouble with country music because she like wore Elvis like pantsuits and went went rock for a little while. Blah blah. blah. But what they got out of Tanya at the end was like a Grammy award, was a Grammy for her music because they sat with her, they worked with her, they brought her back out, they picked her the right songs, and she had the heart. And it was, anyway, I'm going to Nashville. I was feeling guilty about leaving my family because there's this like juxtaposition of my life where it's like I have this push to go create this thing and I feel guilty because is it selfish? I'm leaving my family for you know, a week, I leave you guys on the weekends to pursue this, it makes me money, but like, there's a lot of like, is it worth it going through your head? But I just have to make this music, I just always have, even when I tell myself I'm not going to do it anymore. Okay, I got to time you out, because I got to go check my meat. I'm on a roll. I know you are, but I anyway, have to. I have to. But I just want to say, I cried the entire plane ride watching Tanya Tucker's documentary. That's what well, That's no surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Meat's Okay. The thing is, I pause this so people don't travel in time. They travel travel in time with us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Drag around a palace. Oh. So we're lucky. Oh, because we didn't burn it? Nothing burned. <laughs> is it done? I think so. Okay. Anyway, so I feel like I got really <laughs> impassioned and I was cut off by meat. <laughs> so that, yeah, so I came into Nashville on the tail end of watching finishing that documentary and it was cool because you get to see how they you know how studio works and what it works what it looks like there and and how that whole process works and then they went and performed it and what yeah. also is cool is that somebody like brandy carlisle yeah. is a huge thing that everyone knows about because yes i didn't think that that was gonna oh happen. my gosh remember i was obsessed with her i listened to her all the time awesome, it, she like has this she amazing was voice like she, she and then all this she grinded it out and she kept doing it, and she is incredible, and now everyone wants to be her best friend, and every genre of music, yep. and she is a, as every bit as giving, in that documentary you could see, like, and a, what her essence is, is lifting other, lifting music up, good music up, and the people making it, lifting them up, and bringing it out, and doing for them what people have done, or wish she wished she wished She's they like would have Dr. done. She's like Dr. Dre. <laughs> okay. He does the same yeah, thing. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, that's I don't know anything about him, but that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> but He's not an actual doctor. <laughs> God, you are like, okay, dad joke city. Okay. Anyway. Take them where I can get them. <laughs> so I had a list of what else I wanted to tell you about, but Kay. basically. Let's bust through it because we got to get some yeah, kids to bed. That's all it was. I wanted to talk. I say a little bit in the column about how the studio process works. I want to just not. I want to say, though, that, you know, this is an investment that I, as an independent artist, invest in. So if you have it in you and you want to create these things and go for it, like, all you need is to find the cash <laughs> and the backing and the guts to do it, and you can do it, too. So it's, it's not a, a little scary thing called talent. Yeah, but I've say yeah, but if you believe that you have what you have the talent, you have songs that you want out there. Like I was, I'm saying this because I was scared of Nashville. Nashville was a scary thing for me when I was younger. I thought I would go there and be laughed out of town. Like that, I just didn't, couldn't do it. And I found out that yeah, you can, and there are people there that want to help you, help you get there. And and Nashville's a place, but. There's a million places and a million musicians and a million people that would champion you if you just find the right ones. I was lucky to find them. And I don't know what's going to happen with this album. I'm working on a couple ideas for music videos. We're gonna pu I'm going to push it as much as I can to get it as, as much ears. And I thank you all for listening and pushing my music and whoever you love, sharing it with each other because the business has changed. It's not radio anymore. It's Spotify when I did my last album, Spotify wasn't even a thing. So you're navigating the ways people access your music constantly, and it's constantly changing. So I'm learning about that too. But I just thank you for any ears you have on it. I want to also plug our my friends Breaking Eight. Benny Paulson was I was in a band with him, and he and his band backed me with Northern Lights. They just released their what another album or EP or whatever we're calling it now um, yesterday and they recorded 
um, Pilgrim, my song Pilgrim that I used to play with them. Benny recorded it, and that's on that album. Their album is called Cowboy Stuff. And there's some really, if you like music about rodeo and about ranch life, and it's a little rock uh, infused because that's who he is. Um, but it's really, it's a good listen, so go download that or get, find it on Spotify. That's Breaking 8. And do that for all of the m- local musicians and independent musicians that you love because that's how more ears get on them. And that is my plug. I should have been a DJ, radio DJ. Should you have been? You know what sounds, do you know, you know what, when I went to Nashville? Very aware of my act. It's like there was like a red light flashing above my head as I walked down the street. You know what's funny is I'm <laughs> very aware of your accent, <laughs> but I somehow don't, don't think I have one. And you know what's But I have a <laughs> terrible accent. And what's but to w- me it just sounds middle America regular. Yeah, right? What's worse is so you're recording and then he's saving everything, right? So I go after we recorded with the band, then we go and overdub my vocals and get them right and then we're he's r- overdubbing some um harmonica pieces and another background vocal dad came down he did a background vocal on a track we wrote together blah 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 but so then you have to listen back to yourself and then if you make a mistake a couple times i was like oops how many times you say oh 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 so many times and it's on record record and i have to listen back to it and or or then bill's got his headphones on i got my headphones on and if i screwed something up i'd be like ah I just did it to everyone listening. Like, sorry, I just spit right in your ears. Yeah, there's some really like, (laughs) anyways, as you're working it out. I'm excited about this project. I feel like it's the best work I've ever done musically. Maybe, maybe everyone's favorite album of mine is still the one I did when I was 16, but that's evolution. Like as an artist, that's why you keep doing it to see if you can keep writing better music and doing better. And I can't wait. Um, for it to hit your ears and um, thanks for holding down the any idea on when this might debut (laughs) late this summer so soon i think we can get it out um i'm going to be working on a music video in the next couple months for if you were a cowboy so watch for that i have some ideas i have i'll work with a um, videographer who did my boomtown video so that will be fun and I, there's going to be some fun music videos and some fun additional content. And then I'll be out on the road with it, I imagine, in the fall and the winter doing. I think I was thinking when I went there, well, I'd do more acoustic shows. But now the way that it's come together, I'm going to try to get a band, I think, to do some of the big release shows. So That'd be fun. Yeah, we need a band. We need a band behind this. So You should, you should do it right in hay- hang season. Yeah, I will. Don't worry. I'll do it at the most inconvenient time for you. Caught calving for this. Let's catch yep. hanging. And your for big the deck project, you'll be building like your first house, and then I'll go on the road for like three weeks. Okay. Sound good? The girls are screaming in the bathtub. <laughs> e Rosie has her preschool graduation tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never again be a preschooler. No, she is like, and do she's I get done to go with daycare? And she is so happy. Well, she doesn't know that she has to go two more days next week. But she, anyway, but she is like, do I go to kindergarten tomorrow or after graduation? Uh oh. Okay. Those are gonna be They're awful. They're crying. <laughs> All right. Days. Thanks for listening to me. We gotta go save those kids and save our meat. Uh, bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Live in this moment. That's what my fortune cookie said as I finished my takeout dinner in a hotel near downtown Nashville. Okay, cookie, I said out loud to myself as I laid it on my desk next to my planner and pages of typed up lyrics scribbled with notes. These songs I've been writing and rewriting for the past eight years were all just stacked up there waiting for the next morning to go into the studio and come to life in the hands of some of the best players in the neighborhood. If you would have asked the 16-year-old version of me what most intimidated me as a young woman pursuing some sort of music career, I would have told you it was this, this exact situation, bringing songs I wrote on the floor of my bedroom in the middle of nowhere to sit before musicians who are truly professional and have seen it all. 
Surely my songs about the hard clay of home and hard people who live there wouldn't resonate. Surely they would laugh me right on back to where I came from. I faced my fear of Nashville with my last original album in 2015. I was a grown woman by then and had done plenty of things that scared me, so I hopped a plane, figuring all I had to lose was the money. And though I had no real idea of what to expect, I was greeted by an experience in the studio that was so open and encouraging that it successfully rearranged my view of what it can mean to make music. I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear it's about the people. And in this business, there is plenty of competitive drive and ambition that can make things ugly, but I had long stripped away any ideas of fame and fortune by the time I stepped into a Nashville studio for the first time. I just wanted to make the best songs I could possibly make, and so did every person in that room with me. And that's it. That's all it's about. This time I flew into Nashville on the tail end of a storm that was lightning and thunder and rain and the migration of Taylor Swift fans to Music City for her concerts. As the rain and the superstar and the fans left Music City, I made my way to a studio on Music Row and stood under the same roof she once had. And so did Janice Ian and Faith Hill and Miranda Lambert and on and on and on. The famous names lined the walls and it wasn't fancy, but it was friendly. And for the record, I'm the only one name dropping here. And in came the bass player and his big upright, and the drummer who sits perfect in the pockets of the songs, and the sweetest guitar player, and a woman named Wanda who can play every stringed instrument you can name. And so began our day together, working through the notes of the 12 songs I brought from the North Dakota Prairie. If you're curious about the process, in short, I hire a producer who rents out a studio and hires session players. That producer charts the arrangements for the songs and gathers us all up for a day or more of laying the groundwork for each track. In both my experiences, we track the entire album, 12 songs, in one 10-hour day. That means these musicians often only heard the rough-cut demo of each song once, which is typically five minutes before recording, and then they get to work. My role is to listen, sing my parts, and make sure it all goes in the direction I had in my head. But every time, it goes above and beyond. The next day, all those musicians were likely scheduled to work on entirely separate projects in different studios with different producers across town, and all stay for the rest of the week to work on tracking vocals. And that's just the beginning. Over the course of the year, I'll schedule release dates and concerts and find my favorites and your favorites and make videos and tell stories like I always do and see where it all goes. But for now, as I write this, sipping coffee from a paper hotel cup, I'm just here facing those teenage fears and living in this moment. Thank you for listening to this week's Stories from the Ranch. If you want more content, you can follow me on Instagram at jessevieter or Facebook at Vieter Ranch. If you want more information about my music, you want to download it or hear more, you can find that at jessevietermusic.com or anywhere where you listen to music. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.